Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. I don't know, for some of you this might be your first ever time in church. Maybe it's your first Easter in church. Maybe uh, maybe you've been in church for a couple of Easter's in the past. There's like this kind of, you know, well timed, well-held tradition that people use. And then traditions are awkward, right? Because if you don't know what you're supposed to do, then you just feel like I am on the outside. I don't get what's happening right now. So I'm going to just show you the playbook so you know what to do. And then you're going to feel so part of the team, okay? There's like this tradition that happens often on Easter where someone like who's holding a microphone would say, he is risen. We're talking about Jesus. That's the he. Risen. It isn't like a mispronunciation of raisin. It is, uh, you know, it is actually that he's not dead. He's not in the tomb. He's alive. And so someone like up here would say he is risen. And then, then everybody else in the room would actually answer this way. He is risen. Indeed. I only thought of this because Dustin just said indeed. And, you know, you just don't hear indeed used all that often in, uh, in the course of conversation. But I would say he is risen. And then you would say, See, that's why I showed you the playbook, because we didn't quite get it. This is what practice is for. We practice to make perfect, okay? So you'd say the whole thing, like, he is risen. Indeed. Like, that's true. It's basically all you're saying. I don't know how it became a tradition, but it's one of the few traditions. And I'm like, that's actually kind of fun. So we're going to try it. Ready? He is risen. He is risen didn't you just feel part of the team? Okay, this, this time we're going to do it one more time. It's going to be even better. Ready? This time when I do it. Don't look at me, because I already know he's risen. I'm the one who told you. Look at someone else. It's going to be so fun. Like, choose someone, make eye contact with him, and tell them, like, like what he said, but indeed. Ready? He is risen. Indeed. Ready? He is risen. I don't know. That was just so much fun. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Why don't you stay standing here? I'm going to read uh, uh, a scripture as we begin, and, uh, and I think this will kind of set the tone for the remainder of this message. It comes out of the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I think, articulates very well how it can be such good news that Jesus is risen. Uh, yeah, yeah, ish. Okay. Like, I get excited when I think he is risen. We're getting there. It's getting better every time. By the end of today, my goodness. Romans chapter 8, check it out. Verse uh, verse 38 and 39 says this, For I am convinced, in other words, indeed, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus loves yeah, you, indeed. Jesus loves you. He's for you. He's with you. He's here now. We celebrate Easter, not just one day a year. What would make us maybe unique in the Christian tradition is as good as this day is, this is just our everyday reality. He's alive yesterday. He's going to be alive tomorrow. He's alive for all eternity because he is risen. Oh, man, we're getting so good at that. But here's the, here's the message. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Whatever you have been convinced to believe, if it's opposite to that, is simply not true. Whatever emotion you might hold inside near and dear that would say, for some reason, you are one of the ones who's somehow separated from God, it's just simply not true. His love 
is making a way for you to draw near to God. Do you believe that today? See, some people around you, they're nodding their head because they believe it. Maybe in your heart, you're like, I'm not sure yet. My prayer is that before we're done today, something's going to shift on the inside of your heart where you know how loved you are. Can we pray together? Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that nothing separates us from that love today. We want to lean into it and receive fully from the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can take your seat now. Thank you. Awesome. We just, uh, we just came from New Westminster. Jennifer and Zion and I were there this morning and uh, celebrating with our New Westminster location, their first Easter gathering. Here we are downtown and uh, exciting. It's just amazing to see you guys. If we've never met before, my name is Justin. It's an honor to pastor here. My wife Jennifer is standing right in the back and she's just going to wave at me from where she is. Man, she is so beautiful. Great. I mean, I know God loves me so much. It's amazing. And she's off to take care of one of our kids. We have seven kids, and uh, we are excited about Easter, trying to figure out uh, how, to, how to deliver the appropriate amount of chocolate, not too little, not too much today, and celebrate together. Hey, this month we've been in a series of messages called Known, K-N-O-W-N, Known. I think the, the, the whole narrative of Easter is, is that God wants you to know that he knows you, and you can know him too. That you're known. You're known by him. Called by name. Chosen. Loved. Uh, precious. You're treasured and cherished in the eyes of God. And for all of history, the plot of the devil has been to separate us from God. The plot of the enemy has been to get back at God by separating that which he dearly loves. That's humanity. He loves you. You. Turn to the person beside and say, God actually loves you. It's funny, hey, how intonation, like where you put the emphasis, that sounds either really encouraging or kind of a smack, right? God actually loves you. And all throughout human history, the, the devil's been doing everything he can to bring separation because with separation comes anxiety. And so in the garden, Adam and Eve had perfect unity with one another, perfect unity with God. They, they had the run of the whole world, and God said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. And then they got this idea because of the plot of temptation on them, this idea, what if we actually could just cut God out of the equation? We could be like God. Well, that sounds pretty great. And so they, they entered into sin, and sin created separation. Throughout all human interactions with, with the devil, there's been this desire to separate, to isolate, because separation brings anxiety. But Jesus came so you could have peace. In fact, the Bible says that he is our peace. He's come so we could live in unity and in love. And the Bible says this, John 10, 10, he came so we could have life and have life that is abundant. Whenever sin enters, we hide. Whenever we, we fail, have you ever noticed that? When you drop something that you shouldn't, first thing people do, like you, you're like, oh, you back away from it. Why? You back away from it because you don't want to be associated with the mistake, and you're kind of like, oh, and you think, you, like your mind kind of goes crazy, and you think, can I blame this on someone else? <laughs> Is there anyone else near enough? And then you start thinking this, did anyone see it? It's like when you trip and fall, right? First thing you do is not check to see if there's damage, not check to see if there's blood. You quickly do a survey to see if anyone saw because somehow no one saw it seems better, right? There's this hiding that comes. So, so the devil's plot has always been to separate humanity from God. But God had a plan long before there was uh, this scheme to separate us, a plan of unity, a plan of relationship, a desire for love with people. 
And so he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus entered the world, and uh, we celebrated on Christmas, but I celebrate it every day. He entered the world into humanity. He, he took on the, the, the form of man and became flesh so that we could know and interact with God. He says things like this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God's like, just look at Jesus. He's the, the fullness of the, the, the everything that is divine in, in human form, and he lived a perf- perfect life. For three years, he interacted in a ministry setting with people where he told stories, he performed miracles, he healed sicknesses, he opened blind eyes, he uncrippled uh, crippled hands, he ra- rose the dead back to life, did miracle after miracle. He even did one miracle where he multiplied food. Someone say, that's my Savior. Amazing. And the whole time, the devil was scheming. Do you know, at the point where Jesus entered earth, Christmas, there was this scheme that the, the emperor of the time had. Here's what I think we need to do in order to make sure that there's never a king who will stand up against me. I think we need to kill all of the, the young boys in the nation. Every boy that's born, we need to, we need to bring death. This desire, to, this plot against the life of Jesus. And then there was temptations on Jesus' life. And then it came to the point where, where the devil felt he had won. He really felt he had won. He convinced humanity to turn against Jesus. Jesus was perfect, didn't hurt anybody, didn't do anything wrong. He fulfilled the law. He was love personified. He, he brought hope and joy and peace. And he was actually, in the midst of that, the most famous person of the time as well. Everywhere he went, crowds came to hear him. And somehow, because of the temptation that, that entered, there was this moment in time where the whole crowd just kind of turned on him. A few power brokers who wanted the position he had, they threw a, a faulty illegal late night trial where there was no charges and yet they convinced the jury to convict and they brought him before Pilate and they said, Pilate, the, 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 the ruler of that area, we found this man guilty and we'd like to have him killed. Pilate, instead of being bold, he, he thought of a political way to get around what he really wanted to do. He stood up in front of people. He said, I'm just going to be real nice today because it's a holiday. There's two criminals, both deserving of death. I'm going to let one of them go free. I can either release to you Barabbas, who is a terrorist known throughout the world for all of his his mass murders, or I could release to you Jesus, who it seems like you're just sort of offended with, who's never actually done anything. And as one, the, the crowd rioted. They said, give us Barabbas. We want that guy. Let the murderer go. Let, let the terrorist go, but not Jesus. In that moment, his friends deserted him. His disciples turned their back on him. His one friend, Peter, denied that he even existed. He's like, I don't know, I don't know that guy. And those who had a few days earlier cheered, said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. As he entered in on the triumphal entry, they, they jeered and they threw things and they spat and they cursed and they got a little bloodlust. They got excited about it. Jesus, while he's on the cross, he, he says a few things, seven little statements. One of them he says is this. He goes, hey, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow, what kindness. What kindness Jesus has, that in the midst of his misery, he's looking at the ones at whose hand he is suffering, and he's, he's expressing love and kindness. He's saying, God, I don't want vengeance. I don't want to get even. I want people to know that, that they're loved. And then his final words with his last breath, it is finished. It is finished, doing all that he had come to do fulfilling the plan of God. But here's what was happening in hell. Okay, in hell, the devil was celebrating. He finally did it. 
He finally, once and for all, he's convinced, I separated God and humanity forever. Like there's no way that God's going to forgive people now because they killed his son. And there's a party going on in hell. They're celebrating. We did it. We win. God's never going to express, express kindness towards people again. People will never find hope in Jesus or in a relationship with God again. They'll never be brought into that full life. We win. Jesus loses. And while the party's going on in heaven, there was another party going on simultaneously. Or sorry, in hell, there was another party going on in heaven. And I want to propose to you today that heaven's more turnt than hell. And, and, and while they were in hell celebrating, they were hearing something going on in heaven, and, and the devil's going, hold on. What? Why are you happy? I win. I won. We killed Jesus. But here's the good news. Jesus conquered death. The book of Colossians chapter 2 says this. He made a spectacle of our sin. He ran the score up on our sin. He's like, oh, you thought that? Oh, you thought the cross? Oh, that's cute. That's cute. That was actually my plan. That was actually before the foundations of the earth were laid. I was making that plan. This has actually always been my plan. I'm going to come. I'm going to lay down my life and sacrifice so that God, who is perfectly holy and demands perfection, can have kindness and friendship and relationship and love with a flawed people. How many people know you're flawed? Come on, if you're sitting beside someone you know, turn to them and say, you know you're flawed. I know, I know you're flawed. You know you're flawed. So here's God demanding perfection, but perfectly kind and gracious, desiring to pour out mercy and love on people. There was only one way it could happen, that someone w- would take punishment in our place. So all of God's wrath was fulfilled at the cross as he took out on Jesus the punishment for all humanity's sins. And all of God's grace was fulfilled at the cross as Jesus willingly and joyfully stood in that place and made a way. And what the devil thought would forever separate, actually God was forever bringing together. And he says, now, how will he not also along with Jesus graciously give us all things? The kindness of God being continually and perpetually and ongoingly expressed to people that he loves. Man, it's good news. I was in, in a grocery store the other day, and the person in front of me in the line was ordering. A f- they just had a few things. I only had a few items. But as they were checking through their items, they were in a long conversation with the cashier, a lengthy conversation, a detailed conversation. Guys, I don't even try to eavesdrop, but I'm standing right there. Their conversation was going on and on about inconveniences and frustrations and, and, and things that were going on wrong in their lives. They explained in great detail some of the allergies they had and the associated rashes and, and, and you know, things that came with them. I'm like, guys, I just, I just want to buy this broccoli and go home. They're talking, and then the one while she's talking, she's like, oh, yeah, and then I don't know if you noticed, but my cat bit my eye the other day. That's why it's all pussy and festered. I'm like, oh, pussy and festered. I didn't need to hear that today. You didn't either, but I just wanted to share the love. (laughs) They're sharing just kind of all the, you know, just the raw, real, frustrating. And then uh, got their groceries, and she goes, by the way, happy Easter. (laughs) And the cashier answered back something I thought was just really profound. It was sad but profound. She said, oh, I don't celebrate Easter. In fact, I don't even observe it. I thought, isn't that interesting? She doesn't celebrate it because she doesn't see it. She's like, I I don't even look at Easter. I don't observe it. I haven't given it any of my attention. Ergo, 
I got nothing to celebrate. But isn't that interesting? If we could simply see Jesus for who he is, the kindness that Jesus expressed on the cross, the victory. I love what it says in Colossians, Paul's talking. He's like, hey, death, where's your sting now? That's the best you got? It's like you've actually been swallowed up in victory. I read a quote today from Peter Kreeft. It says this, there's, uh, we, we sin for no other reason but an inexpressible lack of love. And Jesus died for no other reason than an inexpressible excess of love. In the moment of our sin, we simply choose, I don't care about anything else besides what I want right now. I love nothing else more than myself and more than the, this moment. But then Jesus, who loves nothing else more than us, loves nothing else more than humanity, says, oh, I got more than enough grace to cover their sin. Aren't you excited that there's more grace in Jesus' love than there is sin in you and I? Man, there's way more, like insurmountably more grace than we could ever have sin. And so I, I can't tell you about the good news of Easter unless I tell you about the, the death on the cross. But the story doesn't end there. He died on Friday. They placed him in a tomb. Saturday must have felt like the longest day ever. It's funny, in retrospect, we know we celebrate on Easter that he's alive, but they didn't know that on Saturday. That Saturday felt like a day that would actually last forever. And we pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 28. I'd love it if you have your Bible, if you could turn there with me. If not, let me read you this incredible story. Matthew chapter 28. If we could just get a picture of Jesus, if we could just see him. Check this out, Matthew chapter 28. Starting at verse 1, it says this, After the Sabbath... At the dawn of the first day of the week. How many people know Sunday's the first day of the week? Man, your Monday's not your first day. By the time you get to Monday, you've already had a head start. I think you just got to start your Sunday right. It's the first day of the week. It's the best day of the week. Get it started well. So by the time you get to Monday, you, people say, how's your weekend? You're like, oh, it was fine, but my week's been great so far. It's Monday. First day of the week. It says this, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I wonder how she got that name. How she got that nickname, you know, the other Mary. Oh, which Mary are we talking about? Magdalene? No, no, the other Mary. Oh, okay. So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went, check this out, to look at the tomb. They went to look at the tomb. Like just to look at it. Just to see it. I'm going to tell you right now, the good news about Easter is not looking at the tomb. The good news about Easter, the victory that comes in Easter is not seeing the linens that were left bare. The great news about Easter is not in the angels who stood there. The good news about Easter is when you see Jesus. The victory that comes in Easter, the risen, resurrected Savior, is to see Jesus for who he is. Here they were on the first day of the week saying, we've got to go see that tomb. We've got to go commemorate a good man commemorate a teacher and the one we loved we got to take a little trip down to the morgue little did they know the morgue was becoming a monument jesus was alive jesus wasn't there they made their way to the tomb and, and you know i wonder if you and i could make a few observations that even though the devil would do anything he can to try to separate us from the love of god there's really nothing that can separate us if there were, I think you could see a few of the things in this story. Number one, sin doesn't separate you from the love of God. Because of the cross, sin does not separate you. See, Mary Magdalene was known for her promiscuity. 
Mary Magdalene was not the type of woman you brought home to meet your parents, if you know what I mean. Mary Magdalene had a really sordid, broken, sinful, missing-the-mark type of past. But Jesus, who met her, had showed her so much kindness, so much grace, that as the dawn broke on the first moment possible to go and see him, she said, oh, i got to go see Jesus. You know, maybe you're here today and you feel like in some way your sin, your brokenness, your flaws have separated you in some way for seeing Jesus for who he is. It's just simply not true. Like, like you might look in this room. Isn't comparison a crazy thing? How crazy? That's, that's one of those tricks to divide, don't you think? To separate. We got our eyes on all sorts of the wrong things here. We're looking at someone and wishing we had their life. They're looking back at us going, man, it must be good. How crazy is comparison? But for real, you look around this room and you might think, man, I'm the only one. I'm the bad one. I'm the black sheep. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, the one that you know, so don't really want to hear my story. Guess what? We all have broken pasts. If anyone is in Christ, they've come from death into life. Dead, broken, dark, deceived, terrible pasts. Sin doesn't separate you from the love of God. It doesn't separate you from seeing Jesus for who he is. Here's another thing that doesn't separate you, time. Time. Do you know Jesus, he died on Friday. Because of cultural tradition, they didn't see him then. They just wrapped him up real quick, threw him in a tomb. They said, we'll be back when cultural tradition allows it to be more convenient and appropriate. So they put off seeing Jesus until it was a more appropriate time. There's some people here, I would imagine, who probably at some point in your life, you feel like you missed your moment. You feel like, I have my moment when I could have made the right choice, but then I made some wrong choices and I missed my moment. You look back, you're like, man, back in the good old days, I had this little window of opportunity, but that was like back now in 24, you know? And we laugh, we're like, oh, 24-year-olds, <laughs> I'm 35. It's no, it's, it's no less funny then, or 60, or 100. You know, the Bible says this. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says this. Uh, today is the day for salvation. Knowing that this word would endure throughout all human history and thousands of years later, we could open it up and read that and whoever's eyes might fall upon that page and utter those words, it would be true for them too. Today is the day of salvation. You're like, oh, but I've put it off. Yeah, I mean, in between my moment where I could have done the right thing and now there are so many decisions made. There's like so much apathy that's been expressed. There's so many marks that I missed. There's so many moments I could have been better that I wasn't. There's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary on their way to the tomb that day. In the time that they had waited and wondered and felt awkward because of tradition or awkward because of the pressures of society, it hadn't held them back in any way from seeing Jesus that day. Number three, you know what else won't hold you back from seeing Jesus? It's people. People can't stop you from seeing Jesus. There's nothing that separates you from the love of God. People can't separate you from the love of Jesus. There might be some people here today that, that some things have been done to you. Some disappointment has been experienced. Some heartbreak. Some frustration. Some pain. There might be people in your life right now who have made it their mission to try to keep you away 
from living in the fullness of love with Jesus. There might be people who aren't even alive anymore who's the bitterness that you hold towards them. It's like a battle that you try to, to try to fight against every single day. But I want to tell you here, people can't separate you from the love of God. As they were on the way to the tomb that day, there was actually posted Roman soldiers who would be standing in between them. As they left their house, they said, we got to go see the tomb. We got to just go see the, you know, at least show some respect to the place that marks the good life and the unfair, unjust death of Jesus. Sin didn't separate them. Time didn't separate them. And even that Roman guard that was posted there didn't separate them. There was this guard posted for one reason and one reason only. Don't let anybody in. So they had guards there. They put a seal on the tomb, and it had the, the signature of the emperor of Rome upon it. It was like, if you touch this, you die. Nobody comes in. Obviously, no one goes out because he's dead. And they were posted there. But you know what happened? The Bible says this, that, that, that there was an earthquake, and that angels appeared, and that these guards who had been posted, upon seeing the angels and upon experiencing the earthquake, it says they became like dead men. They didn't die. They just got petrified like... Imagine that. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are on their way to the tomb that day. Like, we got to go see Jesus. I know he loves us. He showed us so much kindness throughout life. My sin doesn't separate me. I know, I know there would have been, maybe it would have been great to do it back then, but today's the day. Like, right here, right now, let's go see Jesus. There's going to be guards there, but you know what? God has a way of moving some people out of the way that need to be moved out of the way. Can anybody testify that God, like he did some miracles, and you thought, I didn't even know how that happened, but there was some people, and it just, there was a shakedown, and they're not in the way anymore. And don't let people hold you back from seeing Jesus. And then the fourth thing that couldn't stop them from seeing Jesus that day was the stone. The, the tomb. In fact, in the book of Mark, as they're walking, Mark uh, chapter 16 and verse 3, it says, as they walked together, the women asked one another, who's going to roll the stone away for us? Like, we're going to see Jesus today, like a little thing we maybe didn't consider. We maybe needed a more detail-oriented person on our team because, like, Mary Magdalene, she wasn't detail-oriented, and the other Mary, we don't even know what she was into. But, like, who... Who thought of how, like, did anyone bring dynamite? How are we going to remove this stone? We're not strong enough. We're not powerful enough. I think this stone represents, like, like physical human limitations. For some of us here today, maybe you think, man, you've got this addiction, and it's like a stone that can't be rolled away. And you say, I can never see Jesus because of this addiction that stands in the way. And who's going to roll that away? Maybe for some of you, it's a fear that you have. Like this overwhelming fear, like every time I get to this point where I could be free, it just I, I, I get gripped by this fear, and who's going to roll that stone away? Maybe for some of you it's a habit. Maybe for some of you, it, uh, you know, for some of us it could be any sort of thing. That we're like, man, just, just like my life, you know, it's just really tough. Like, who, like I have so much financial pressure right now. I got so much like family stuff going on. I got career stuff. Like, I don't know how that would ever be moved so I could just see Jesus and experience the good news of Easter. How could I ever possibly? Like, I just, like, I feel so alone right now. And who's going to roll that stone away? Now, here's the good news. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rolled away the stone. He rolled away the stone. From the inside of the grave, he made a way. And he didn't roll away the stone so he could get out. He rolled away the stone so that we could get in, so that we could draw near to him. Imagine Jesus alive in the tomb being like, 
Mary? Mary, is that you? No, not, not Magdalene, the other Mary. Is that you? Can someone let me out? I'm stuck in this tomb. No, Jesus is alive and well. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He, he, we see in the, in the days to come, he like walked into and out of walls. They were hanging out, and then Jesus was amongst them. Like, who let Jesus in? Jesus is like that friend. You're like, how'd you get here? He didn't need to be let out of the tomb. He rolled away the stone so we could enter in. Jesus will go to the ends of the earth to make a way for you and I to experience him. Sin can't stop him or can't stop us. Time can't stop us. People can't stop us. Not even a tombstone can stop us. The only thing that holds us back from seeing Jesus is us. If we choose to not look at him, that, that, like that's it. That's all. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God but our own willing decision to back off and back away. John chapter 20, let me, let me go here. The band's going to come and join me here in a moment. John chapter 20, I've got to read, read you this story. It's just fantastic. Same story but put in a different perspective. John chapter 20, starting at verse 1, it says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, <clears throat> the one that Jesus loved. I love how John refers to himself. He's like, I don't want to be too proud. Like, I don't want to like throw my name all in there. Like, I need to be noticed. Let's just say it was the one that Jesus loved, and we'll all know who you mean. I think Peter's like, hey, Simon, you didn't write a letter, so I win. So she went and told Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. And so Peter and the other disciples started running to the tomb. Look at how petty Peter is. This is awesome. It says, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> He's like, not only am I loved, I'm also faster, Peter. Edith. <laughs> It says, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen that were lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Peter came along. <laughs> I love that. He's like, I ran there. I got there. I surveyed the situation. I saw what I needed to see. Then finally, Peter showed up. It says, Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw that the strips of linen were lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, and he puts it in again. You know, the one who reached the tomb first? <laughs> he also went inside. He saw and believed. And he, here's John just writing of his own experience. He's like, I know I'm loved. I know I'm good. I'm fast. And that was my moment. I, when I saw, I believed. It says this, that, but they still didn't understand from the scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. So they went back to where they had been staying. Mary stood there outside the tomb weeping. She bent over and she looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
Isn't this amazing? She's just chatting with an angel. Like, like something miraculous is happening. She's like, ah, oh, miracles, whatever. I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. Like, I, I'm not looking for signs and miracles and, you know, things to get me all excited. I just want Jesus. So, hey, angel. Hey, other angel. I'm Mary Magdalene. This is Other Mary. Say, so, I just want Jesus. I don't know where, where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't even realize it was him. Perhaps she was looking down, perhaps from that bent state, looking into the tomb, seeing angels, seeing no Jesus. She turned around and she saw, saw his feet. And he said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, please just tell, him where you've, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh, I love that. She had questions. But all Jesus answered back was, I know you. Some of you here today, you've entered with questions. Like, I don't know if I could ever really, you know, be a Christian. I don't know if I could ever put my faith in Jesus. I, I got so many questions. Some so many things that don't make sense. I'm just mystified. I've been looking at blogs and then I got even more confused. I've been, you know, I've been watching watching you know, news articles, and I'm even more confused. Like, I just got so many questions. Maybe this could be that moment that into the midst of your questions, Jesus simply speaks your name. You recognize that you're known and loved. He says to her, Mary, immediately she recognizes Jesus. She says, oh, Jesus, teacher. She went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. Says this, uh, John chapter 20 and verse 20, a, a, a verse of perfect vision. It says this, Jesus appeared to the disciples as well. And when he showed them his hands and his side where the nails had been pierced, it says this, the disciples saw him and they were overjoyed. Now that's the reality. When we see Jesus and his kindness, joy comes. Joy comes. All the disciples were there that day except for Thomas. I don't know if you've ever been to church before. Maybe if you grew up going to Sunday school or some sort of children's program, you heard the nickname they gave Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't there that day. He shows up late. He's like, sorry, guys, slept through my alarm. No, he didn't say that. He said it didn't go off. We, your alarm went off. You just slept through it. Your alarm always goes off, people. He goes, guys, I, like, I know that's good for you. I know you saw Jesus, and I know you believe Jesus. But he says, unless I see him, I just don't think I can believe. And so Jesus, in his kindness, not too many days later, he comes back when Thomas is actually there. And this time they're all there and like, Thomas, this is the same thing that happened before. Like, like go touch his hands. We got to. Go touch his side. We got to. You're going to believe. I love this that Jesus doesn't come. He's like, hey, doubter. Are you for real? Seriously, you can't believe your bros? Like, what's going on? He doesn't do it at all. He actually just, in kindness, appears to, like, maybe you have doubts today. Doubts can't separate you from Jesus. Man, he, he's on his way. He's reaching out to you. He's like a friend across the table. So he appears to Thomas. Thomas touches his hands. He's like, that is really a nail hole. Wow. He says, you're, you're my Lord and my God. You're it. I believe. I'm in. I'm sold. 
Jesus' response to him is this. He goes, Thomas, you believe me because you saw. Blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen. And I think right here and right now, Jesus, he, he's, he's saying this, Thomas, like you had proof. And people, if you want to know the proof of the resurrection of Jesus, it's, it's overwhelmingly historically documented. Jesus really lived. And he really died. And witnessed by hundreds of people who were still alive in the time that the Bible was written. 500 people who all saw Jesus risen. He really rose again. And without any exception, not one person said, yeah, we made that up. I mean, like it's historically, it's a, it's a Loctite ironclad case. History is. But here's the thing. Jesus says that the blessing doesn't come because you believe history. Blessing comes from a step of faith where you say, oh, this isn't just that I'm saying, okay, this is historically accurate. It's saying like, I'm just going to actually put my faith in what is accurate. Yeah, we could we could sit and create a conspiracy theory about anything that's ever happened in history and say, I see all the proof, but I, I still don't believe it. And us not believing it wouldn't make it not true, right? We could just say, I, I politely oppose. The same option is, is there for you and I today. We can just politely oppose the love of God and say, thanks, but no thanks. I see it. You lived, you died, you rose again. Great. That's good for others, but, but that's just history. But blessing comes from saying, I'm also going to put my faith there. Maybe you came today with questions. I really believe Jesus is calling out your name. So we'll get to the questions. I'll explain later that I'm not the gardener. I didn't put his body. But let me just let you know. I know you. I see you. I love you. I choose you. No sin that can separate you from God. There's no time that can separate you from God. There are no people who can separate you from God. Even the stone, I'll roll that away. I'm going to make a way. I conquered death to tell you I love you. See, the resurrection is what makes Easter so good. I mean, I could just sit here and be like, now let me tell you how bad the cross was. It was really terrible and it was excruciating. But Jesus doesn't put the focus on the sacrifice. He places the focus on on the love that he has. He rose again to make sure, hey, stop thinking about the cross. Like, stop stop living at the cross. I'm alive. You can live with me. Stop living like you're still at the foot of the cross, the one who rejected and resisted. Just receive my love. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.